It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The World in 10. It's a unique look at the top stories from today's Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Barsby, and in the next 10 minutes, we're going to hear the latest on a tale that has gripped the world, that of Alex Murdoch, and a possible link to two more mysterious deaths. Also, how religion has helped singer Nick Cave cope with the loss of his sons. We start with a story that has certainly gripped me and probably the world over the last few weeks, the downfall of prominent US lawyer Alex Murdoch. Now, he was sentenced to two life terms on Friday for killing his son Paul and wife Maggie at their 1,700-acre family hunting estate in Colleton County in South Carolina. He seemingly had it all, successful, wealthy, a loving family. But behind it all lay a drug addict who'd been stealing millions from his clients to fund his habit. Prosecutors claim he murdered his wife and son in a desperate attempt to stop his secret life from being exposed. The jury agreed, finding Murdoch guilty in around three hours. But far from this being the end of the story, in today's Sunday Times, Sarah Baxter, who's director of the Marie Colvin Centre for International Reporting in New York, writes that the spotlight is now on two other mysterious deaths, both with links to the Murdochs. She told me more about them. It uh, transpired that his housekeeper had died in mysterious circumstances in 2018. She tripped and fallen down eight steps and he'd snaffled $4.3 million in settlement money that was owed to her sons for her death. And I thought, wow, there's more to this story than mm. meets the eye. And then, of course, I discovered that there was a a further mystery, and this was the killing of a lovely 19-year-old gay um, boy called Stephen Smith, who was um, killed in the early hours of the morning at the roadside in 2015. And at the time, there were rumours swirling that members of the Murdoch family were involved. And uh, to this day, Sandy Smith, Stephen's mother, insists that uh, her son was victim of a homophobic attack. But at the time, it was dismissed as a hit-and-run accident. South Carolina law enforcement has now promised to exhume the housekeeper's body and reopen the case into Stephen Smith's death. Why not take out a time subscription so you can follow developments in this gripping saga?
Let me take you back now to Afghanistan. It's August the 13th, 2021. After 20 years of war, the Afghan government has made a peace deal with the Taliban, which meant effectively that the president had relinquished power and the hardline Islamist group would enter Kabul within two days. This led to an extraordinary two-week mission, codename Operation Pitting, to get British nationals and eligible Afghans out of the country. This story features in a far-reaching article in the Sunday Times. One of our World in 10 team, Amy Gill, has been having a read of it. And it's quite an amazing story, isn't it, Amy? It is. And it really throws us straight into the evacuation operation with testimonies from soldiers and civilians on the ground. But that's where Levison Wood enters the story and other army veterans who served in Afghanistan. They were in the UK, but they were coordinating with soldiers in Kabul through WhatsApp and using phone location apps, hence why it's been dubbed the Digital Dunkirk. And this was to evacuate interpreters and others who'd worked with Allied forces and whose lives were therefore at risk from the Taliban. So, as Levinson explains, he'd get a message asking for help getting someone out, and then immediately he would get on the case. So I'd be on the phone to my mate um, in Wandsworth, who was sort of using his own contacts because he'd worked as a security consultant in Kabul. So he knew the roads, you know, even had his contact in the Taliban. So he was looking at where the uh, Taliban checkpoints were, where these safe houses were, and he was organising groups of Afghans to meet at certain places in these safe houses and then organizing literally buses to smuggle them through the checkpoints, um, you know, and, and to take the back route. Some people even smuggled under the fence at the airport, things like that. So um, and then he was also coordinating with the, the guys from two para and the parachute regiments who were inside the airport to make sure that it was the right people who were getting through. And that was incredibly difficult because thousands of people were trying to get into the airport. So how did the soldiers know which ones had been sent by Levison? Well, one man had to write, I hate crap hats on cardboard so the paratroopers could identify him. And in turn, when a British army captain tucked colourful pieces of clothing into his uniform, so the right people knew that he was the one to follow. I think overall the piece shows how a group of people came together to help in what was an unbelievably difficult time. I completely agree, and that piece is on the Times website now. Now, this is not the start of a bad joke, but what do you think the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr Rowan Williams, and singer-songwriter Nick Cave have in common? Not a lot, you would think, but the Sunday Times brought the two of them together after Dr Williams chose Cave's book Faith, Hope and Carnage in conversation with music journalist Sean O'Hagan as his book of the year. Dr Williams explains in today's article that in the book, the former Bad Seeds frontman speaks with raw clarity about his creative energy and how it was fed by the experience of agonising grief and loss. At the heart of this is the death of Arthur, his 15-year-old son in 2015. He fell from a cliff edge near Brighton. Heartbreakingly, he has since lost another son, 31-year-old Jethro. As the pair sit down together in a beautiful church in central London, Dr Williams says he wants to know more about what Cage described as the spiritual audacity that he felt coming to birth in the wake of Arthur's death and his reckless refusal to submit to the condition of the world. It is a far-reaching and incredibly honest piece between what the world would see as two polar opposites, 
Phoebe Luckhurst is one of the editors who'd arranged this interview and she told us just how fascinating the conversation between the two men was. I was lucky enough to kind of see the initial transcript of their conversation. So I had had really every single word they kind of said to one another. And what struck me was it was a very... Um, it was a very intelligent, uh, erudite conversation about faith and grief and creativity. And uh, the two of them went down some kind of really fascinating garden paths um, that I would you know, never have previously thought about. Um, and that I thought was a real testament to Rowan's sort of skill as, as an interviewer. The full piece is now up on the Times website. Now for the latest update on the selling of English Premier League football club Manchester United. Now, just for some background, it's currently in the hands of the Glazer family, which now owns 69% of the club after some of the siblings sold various stakes over recent years. Now, I should say they are also deeply disliked by the fans who want whoever takes over to own the club outright. The Times chief sports correspondent Matt Lawton says that Manchester United has now invited the potential buyers. We are thought there are at least three for meetings at Old Trafford later this month. They've also been informed by United's New York bankers that they are being given access to the key data to make a formal offer. The Glazers want £6 billion for United, but this data will allow the prospective buyers and the current owners to come up with a fair price. Current bids are rumoured to be less than £5 billion. As a cat owner myself, the next story really made me prick up my ears. As lockdown restrictions for people in Australia have eased, lockdowns for moggies are becoming more widespread. Owners are not very happy. The Times' James Salmon, what a perfect name, who's based in Perth, writes that strict curfews banning pet cats from prowling the streets at night is springing up across the country to protect native wildlife. Some councils have forced owners to keep them permanently cooped up in their homes or in enclosures outside. Now, this is actually very, very serious because Australia is home to some 5 million domestic cats, but also 3 million feral ones. Together, they have helped wipe out 27 native species, from the pig-footed bandicoot to the desert rat kangaroo, since being brought to the country by European settlers back in the early 1800s. And Western Australia and New South Wales, the only states that don't have any type of cat curfews in place, are coming under more pressure to do so. But while there's much support for restrictions, there's also, of course, going to be strong opposition, with critics saying that locking up cats is cruel. And Emma Hurst, who is a Sydney-based MP for the Animal Justice Party in New South Wales, believes compulsory cat containment laws also penalise low-income households that can't afford to pay fines for their cats to be released from the pound if they get out from home. If you want to read more on this tale, uh, then head to the World section of the Sunday Times. And that's it for today's World in 10. We're back tomorrow.